Hello, this is Jane Sigford, convener of the podcast Views and Voice Above the Noise, which is hosted by MASA, Minnesota Association of School Administrators. The voice you will hear today, other than mine, of course, is that of Stephen Jones, superintendent of Little Falls Community Schools. The school district serves about 2,800 school-age students in central Minnesota. The district is larger than about 75% of other Minnesota schools, which allows the district to provide a diverse array of offerings. In addition, Little Falls has several industries and community services, such as a hospital, which provide an opportunity for strong business partnerships and learning opportunities for students. As with previous podcasts, during the interview, several themes appeared. You will hear about the district's journey toward personalized learning, which involves many pieces. Changes in professional development for teachers, changes in curricular offerings, changes in instructional delivery, creating learner profiles, transitioning to standards-based grading, and developing career pathways. Plus, you will hear about the robust relationships with the business community and families. How many superintendents do you know who came from Pennsylvania, went to college in southwest Minnesota at a school he had never seen to supposedly major in hotel and restaurant administration, but then he changed his major and graduated with a degree in radio and TV, and eventually he became the owner of two clothing stores, one for men and one for women, all before he earned his education degree at the age of 38. Because his wife was a teacher and he had watched and heard what she was doing with kids, he thought that might be a better career path than retail, and he went back to school at the age of 36 and graduated at 38. That's Stephen Jones, the superintendent of Little Falls Community Schools for the past seven years. It's a unique path, but one that I believe has served me well in terms of of being able to look at things not just from an educational model, but also from, from kind of a business model and a, and a community support and structure model as well as with, with the things that I, I do in this role. Never anticipating that I would be in this role as a superintendent. That was not my, my chosen path when I got into teaching. I expected to be teaching. And now I'm in my seventh year here at Little Falls. So I came here in 2012. When I've taught an educational psychology class or conducted seminars, I've had participants write their educational philosophy. The exercise always leads to a healthy discussion about how there is no one governing philosophy for all educators because there are so many values involved. I know that I thought this was just an exercise when I was in college, but I have come to appreciate the value of formulating and writing down one's philosophy because consciously and unconsciously, what each individual believes to be the purpose of education governs how and why decisions are made and how one leads. Two factors provided the impetus for Steve to lead the journey for more personalized learning for Little Falls Community Schools. One, the development of his philosophy and the several moves for his office during a construction process. I occupied four different offices in three years as we were going through the construction phase. When I finally moved into my new office here a year ago in January, I was able to unpack boxes that I hadn't seen in a long time. And so as I was putting them on the shelves, I found 
from some of my old stuff from University of South Dakota from back when I was, you know, in, in principal and superintendent school. One of the pieces that I found was my philosophy of education. So this is 2002, and I read it. It was on a Sunday afternoon. I was up here, and I read it again, and I read it again, and it was Holy Toledo. What I had written in 2002, so 17 years ago, was really my thoughts specifically as they relate to personalized learning. Basically, meeting kids where kids are at. That we are systemically dooming kids to failure because we we move kids forward when they're not ready, simply because the curriculum says that they're ready. When when a group of students take a test and one kid gets a 95% and one kid gets a 60%, the next day, that entire class is moving forward with the next module. Well, the kid that got a 60% isn't ready fundamentally to move there. And so what we're doing is systemically building in parameters and barriers for these kids that they can't cross over. In addition, in that paper was was a huge part about relationships. Relationships are, are key. And when we don't understand the why, or when the kids don't understand the why of us as teachers, and all they understand is the what, the what being the assignment, the curriculum, with that disconnect between the why and the what in terms of what kids are perceiving of us as teachers and educators, we've lost. The kids, if they know the why and they understand why you as a teacher are doing what you're doing, the what is a natural thing to follow for them. But unfortunately, our system gets so reliant upon the what that we lose the why. And through that, the relationships really struggle. And I firmly believe, from my experience as a teacher and as an administrator, we can get kids to do pretty much whatever we want and expect of them if we have a relationship that they feel is trusting and worthwhile and equal and beneficial and and all those kinds of things. Are you still going to have blips? Absolutely you are. But across the board, I feel, and I think as we're getting more and more into personalized learning, we're finding the research backs that up, that this really is, is the way that good teachers, great teachers have always taught who have had impact. And now the struggle becomes to get that systemic. As a leader, Steve Jones introduced the concept of personalized learning in January of 2015 and then provided many opportunities for discussions and professional development around the topic. But he recognized that making changes like this is really a process that takes place over time with many different stages. He also recognized that lasting change cannot necessarily be top-down. You know, one of the criticisms that superintendents and administrators rightly are susceptible to is that sometimes we we do a couple of things. We push initiatives, for one thing. We don't provide proper vetting in terms of allowing people to jump on and casually move forward with it. It's almost an all-or-nothing kind of jump on. As described earlier, one of the themes of this podcast was how Little Falls has changed professional development on this journey toward personalized learning. What they did is recognize that learning must be personalized for teachers, not just for students. Just listen to how they've changed professional development. We're now, you know, starting our fifth year of working towards this. And throughout the course of those years, we've, we've done an awful lot of opportunities, some didactic, but the bulk of them choice-oriented towards our professionals as to how they want to approach it in terms of their personalized learning or in terms of their professional development towards personalized learning, growth, and understanding. As we talk about what, what we've done for our staff, uh, I think it's important to note that 
it all comes with kind of a loose caveat to it because what personalized learning looks at Eastern Carver County, which is a place that we've we've spent a lot of time. We've sent tens and tens and tens of teachers there throughout the last two and a half years to take a look at their model. What ultimately happens here in Little Falls will look different than the way it does in Eastern Carver County. We know that. But at the same time, we have to get an understanding of what it looks like in practice, not just in theory, to be able to under, to, to take a look and, and move forward with it. At the same time, we've done some, I think, some innovative things around professional development to allow us to get to this point. So we're in our fifth year of a program that we developed here in Little Falls that is now spread to 13 school districts in Region 5. And Sourcewell, which is our co-op, has taken over and is now running it as a regional program. And it's called Alternative Career Pathways. So what Alternative Career Pathways is at, it, it's, at its very basic is providing staff a different means of moving across the pay scale instead of just traditional graduate level courses. So when we get into candid conversations with teachers about the rigor and the expectations of graduate level courses that they're taking through opportunities that are presented to them that are more focused perhaps on cost than they are on rigor and, and relevance, teachers candidly will say, we're just jumping through the hoops. We're jumping through the hoops that have been created. And again, I absolutely agree with that. Our contracts have allowed that. This isn't about not wanting to pay teachers. I want to pay teachers. I want them to earn that pay by improving upon their craft as well. And so what ACP, Alternative Career Pathways, does is it provides them the opportunity to do project-based professional development, earn credits just like in a, in a, in a college graduate system based off the, the amount of hours that the work for that project would, would encompass and move across the pay scale. In addition, for those teachers that might not want to use them towards moving across the pay scale, or for the teachers that are already at the far right, are veteran teachers who are really don't have, they're really disincentivized to do any additional professional growth because they're already as far over as they can be. We've created a stipend process as well. So teachers, when they complete an Alternative Career Pathways project, can either take the credits and move across the pay scale or take a, a cash payout for the work that they've done. So it initially started as an innovation funding program through Sourcewell. We first year we had five schools, we went to eight, to 11, and now I think it's 13 schools in the region. That Sourcewell actually has two full-time employees now who run alternative career pathways programs in districts. Here in Little Falls, over the last five years, we've had 122, I think, is the latest count of completed projects for either one, two, or three credits, depending upon the, the, the impact or the, the amount of time that they need to do it, that have been implemented. And they range from certainly classroom projects, but they also range into, into community-driven projects as well. Again, anything that we can, that the, that the person can prove is a professional development opportunity, right, to, to grow uh, from that in terms of a professional way. The committee, which is made up all of teachers, administration doesn't have anything to do with it. It's teacher-driven, teacher-managed, teacher-created professional development. What's an example of some of those? Probably the, the easiest one to talk about is our Flyer Pride weekend food backpack program. Two social workers and a kindergarten teacher started a weekend food backpack program. Through that, they raised each year over the last three years, because this is in its fourth year, approximately $12,000 each year 
to be able to fund the food that goes into a backpack. The, the program has grown into about 68 or 70 backpacks that we provide to kids each weekend that are stuffed with food for them to take home. A neat byproduct of that has been a community effort the last two years led by the Chuck Zwilling family here in Little Falls around an ice carousel. Do you know what an ice carousel is? You mean the one that they carved yeah. in the lake? So Little Falls is the world record holder. But do you know that the great part of that is the funds that were raised for that? We got a check for $14,000 from ice festival people to pay for our weekend food backpack program for a year. Not only did it become a project that has, has worked here in our school, it became a community-focused project. And all because we offered alternative career pathways that our social workers and kindergarten teacher could determine what the problem was. We now had a means for them to get incentivized to put this together and then go forward and continue it. Now, um, for them, it was a two-part project. But right now, the project is up. The, the backpack program is running on its own. There's no more ACP stipends paid for that. It is now an embedded part of what we do here in Little Falls, all because of the work of some great teachers. Little Falls recognizes that learning may be designed for a specific individual, but also they know that some professional development must be grade level or building level or district wide. Little Falls does that as well. What other ones would be like guided reading at our, at our grade levels? K through five now, we are a completely guided reading school because like any good initiative, there's meetings to attend, there's seminars to go when you're learning a new program like guided reading, but there's also the expectation of some work on your own to learn how to do that. And we had written kind of a district-wide ACP project for our elementary teachers that they would be embedding guided reading into, into their classrooms, but we would allow them to sign on to the ACP as a group project because we expected there to be work outside of school time and allowed them to get, in a sense, incentivized financially to be a part of our guided reading. We've done the same with personalized learning teams, where we now have personalized learning teams in our buildings that are helping to drive some of this. You can always ask people to be on a committee, but when there's an incentive to go along with it, suddenly the ask doesn't become very difficult and people are more willing to spend time outside of school Another part of instituting personalized learning for the Little Falls School District is the development of learner profiles so that each teacher has access to information about each student in their class that will assist in designing specified programs for each student. The goal, hopefully, is that those learner profiles will follow the kids up and throughout. The fun part of this is we actually have a couple of students helping to develop the, the format of them. And we've actually even engaged a, a young student artist who is doing sketches for us to load into the learner profile to help the children identify themselves as, as that person or this person. And so it's, it's, it's really been neat to see our kids step forward and how it can best develop a learner profile that differs from a kindergartner to a ninth grader. But the key of it, again, is can a teacher look and have a classroom of 25 and realize that 10 of them are visual learners, 8 of them are tactile learners, 7 of them are auditory learners, and they're all a part of it. And that doesn't mean that we excuse them from learning different ways. But at the same time, if indeed we're about developing our children in ways that are best for them, playing to their strengths seems to make a lot of sense 
to people that are in personalized learning environments. So as we laid out personalized learning plans district-wide, it was our expectation that at the end of next school year that all of our students would have learner profiles built for them. Another theme of the podcast and a logical outgrowth of personalized learning is the implementation of standards-based grading. This is a process which takes a lot of work, time, and education for staff, students, and parents alike. Steve talked about where they are in this journey. The goal with standards-based grading was that by the end of the 21 school year that we would be standards-based grading across the district. Well, Monday night at our school board meeting, our elementary curriculum director, Chris Dobas, will be providing standards-based report card work. He, with the teachers, have been taking all of the standards and creating I-can statements out of them. Generally, in each grade level and each subject matter, it'll be 12 to 14 I-can statements that will appear on the report card. So the, the days of the A, B, C's, and D's will be gone, and we'll be into a world of, you know, exceeds, meets, is that basic, not yet began. But it also will be not just one grade, it'll be 12 or 14 as we continue to go through. And we really feel that more accurately reflects the academic piece of it. Important to the process of standards-based grading is to have a discussion about the philosophy of grading. What does a grade mean? What should it mean? Is the grade reflective of learning? Should behavior affect the grade? Should completion of homework be part of a grade? What about extra credit? These are topics that Little Falls has discussed as they have come up with their standards-based report card. A, A big part of it for us, too, in terms of our philosophy here in Little Falls, is that behavior is certainly a part of what we want kids to understand. But we struggle with the concept that behavior is tied directly to academics. We're all about, you know, the development of soft skills, the development of character, all of those kinds of things. But should that, does that really belong in the academic grade, which is exactly what a grade is about? It should be based off the academics. And those other pieces can have other measurement that go along with. And what you'll see on our standards-based report card is truly a grade, or, a, or not a grade, but a, an assessment based off the academics, but then other work surrounding the other pieces that are important, behaviors, all of that. Uh, again, we get into extra credit work. Does extra credit work really belong in a base grade level? If you've got an A, if you've earned an A in, or a B in, in a class, should extra credit, does that really mean anything in terms of learning additional material? Lots of people that feel differently about that. Should that be something else? Well, you hear a lot about grade inflation. Does an A in Little Falls equate to an A in Edina? I don't know. But with standards-based grading, you're able to more, I think, find those grades equitable throughout the system, as opposed to adding in things like behavior, extra credit, completion of homework. Maybe that's a work ethic assessment versus a grade. An age-old question arises for students like one that Steve mentioned who had aced tests in his class but got a C- on a grade because he didn't do homework. The question then becomes, is a grade about learning or about compliance? If our system is built upon learning, versus compliance, to that kid's mind, homework was just a compliance step. He didn't need it. He was acing the tests. 
He demonstrated learning. So why should he get a C minus simply because he didn't do the homework? Implementation of standards-based grading takes a long time, and Steve talked about his plan for implementation K-12. So the expectation will be next year at the elementary that we will be standards-based, K-5. Right now we have seven teachers at the middle school who are piloting standards-based there. They started it this year. They had their first parent-teacher conference in October, and they were scared to death. They came back afterwards. We talked with them, and the overriding comment from the teachers was, I can't believe it because for the first time in, in my parent-teacher conference history, we talked about learning instead of grades. And it's like, there you go. That's what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about the learning. Steve also recognizes that the issues at the high school are different and the process might have to take some time. It'll be a, a much more difficult conversation. We understand that even though we've set out target dates at the high school, it might, it might linger a little longer. Another theme of this podcast is about creating interactive business partnerships. Part of personalized learning is to change curriculum and recognize that the post-secondary life of many of our students does not include a two- or four-year college degree. It is sometimes difficult for schools to create meaningful experiences for students and for teachers to understand how to explore other options. One of the attributes of Little Falls as a city is the amount and type of industry that can be found there. Two of the biggest reasons that's important as far as school is concerned is, one, there is a great opportunity to create symbiotic relationships between business and school, and two, there is an opportunity for career pathways for high school students to explore various careers and to participate in internships, some of which are paid. One of the first steps in establishing this healthy business school relationship is for school staff to understand what the business and industry does and what they need from schools. Another piece that is really interesting for us, and we'll, we'll be doing it again in June, are to set up tours of our local businesses here by teachers. Um, and and we mainly do it with, a, with some manufacturing in our community. You know, there's still a mindset, and I don't think it's, a, it's not a right or a wrong mindset, it's just the way it is, of what manufacturing looks like. Many of our staff have never been in these facilities. And in their mind, they're still perhaps thinking of manufacturing as the industrial model manufacturing. As the administrator, really working with creating business relationships here in Little Falls, I've been in these places, and they are anything but what I would have visioned as, as a manufacturing facility. They're, they're incredibly technologically driven with robots, very finite, specific work that gets done. And so last year, we did our first business tour as part of our flex days, which I can talk about too, is another opportunity for us to, to provide time for our staff. But we did it as a flex day opportunity, and we had 30 teachers go. June 4th and 5th of this year, I've got another 65 teachers signed up. So we go to four different businesses in Little Falls. We go to Falls Plow, Little Falls Manufacturing, which is a, a plow maker. DJ Products, which makes robotic moving carts that will move, for example, 737s and rail cars that are all hydraulically driven. If you think of the shopping carts in, in Walmart, that machine that, that moves the, the, the shopping carts, that's what DJ Products makes. But not only do they do it for shopping carts, they do it for semi-trailers and planes and everything else. That's here in Little Falls. Wabash National, 
is the leading American-made manufacturing of semi-trailers. They opened up a plant two years ago that is based on the development of refrigerator cars that use fiberglass because the history of Little Falls is a boat-making community with Larson Boats and Larson Boat Factory was sold to Wabash National who came in a couple years ago and now they're making fiberglass refrigerated trailers that are 25% more economical and 30% lighter which lastly is Airborne which is a an electrical connector manufacturer employs about 150 people with about 70% of their contracts are government um, oriented contracts but very technical work. The responses from our teaching staff, and again, our, our desire was to allow teachers to see the types of skills that are necessary in manufacturing for our kids who may not go to a two or four year school to learn the technical reading piece. So, so for our junior boys or senior boys that are graduating, is it more important for them to be able to understand technical reading or read Shakespeare? Our teachers are able to see that, that, that these aren't mindless tasks that we're asking you know these kids need to come with skills and granted some of them are soft skills showing up on time school for some of those kids has been a disincentive because they there's minimal things here that excite them and so we have to do a better job I feel of getting those kids to understand the relevance in talking with kids that are in that vocational English class all they want is to understand why English is important to them. Why do I have to do this? Well, you need to understand technical reading. Well, what do you mean, Mr. Jones? Well, for example, this. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. That I'll do. But in their minds, English is grammar and Shakespeare. But that's truly what we're fighting as we get those kids. Now, we can decide to to take them down with the ship if we want to. Or we can decide to really provide them the best opportunity, get them what we can get them, and move forward with them in a positive way. We have had success doing that. Another theme has been about other structural changes and format changes at the high school. We have some teachers that are doing some blended learning classes. We do have a number of classes that are zero-hour classes that don't meet every day. We had one astronomy class this year, which I thought was fantastic, because what they ended up doing was actually teaching a community education class for 10 nights and so the kids were assigned parts of the lessons where they would teach the community the astronomy and so you know there's the old saying that you want to learn it you teach it and so these kids earned the opportunity to do this through a community education class and so what we did for them because you know we figured out how many hours that was so they ended up not having to be in class every day once we got through the initial stages of that. So the kids could, in a sense, build their own schedule. But they showed up every night that they were supposed to teach, and that was what they did. And the response has been fantastic. You know, can it get better? Of course it can get better. But, you know, these are kids teaching adults. But what an invaluable experience for those kids. I mean, there were 22 of them in the class. There have also been changes at the middle school. At, at the middle school... We've combined one class, we call it Stellar, which is actually a combination of STEM with language arts. 
and we have a science teacher and a, and a language arts teacher that are teaching this class of 60 kids. And so they split them up accordingly. They, they work on different things, but it's the combination of both together. In a pilot year, that has done tremendous things so well that we're going to launch another one with a science-math combination next year. There are also differences at the elementary school. Lindbergh Elementary School, which is our largest elementary school, we uh, departmentalized our fourth grade this year. So we had five sections of fourth grade there. Those teachers came in during the summertime and wanted to try this, and so we allowed them to do it. And their main goal was, we feel that it's in kids' best interest that they have five adults who know all of their names and everything about them. We have 115 kids in that grade level. They have five teachers who know about them, as opposed to a traditional elementary school with, with one class teaching basically everything. We have one of our teachers loves science. He's a science nut. He's teaching science all day. Guess what? He's teaching science at a level for those kids than they get anywhere else. We have a reading specialist. Guess what? Those kids are getting this reading specialist at the highest level all the time. Not saying that teachers don't work hard in, in all of those areas, but let's be realistic. If you had one area that's your passion to pursue as a teacher versus the other four or five areas, what are you going to do the best on? You're going to do the best on that. When you can devote all your time to a grade level, you know, similar to a high school, what's going to happen? The other piece you can do with math, it allows us to, to double up on math. So we have a high-level math and we have a remedial math. Well, our high-level math has more kids in it than the remedial-level math, which allows a, a teacher to a student ratio of about 1 to 9, 1 to 10 during those math sessions with the remedial kids, and it allows us to really get down and work on, on building skills where those kids that are at a higher level get enrichment. They get to move further and faster. Little Falls has recognized that professional development for staff and parents must also be personalized, taking people where they are and moving them forward. Sometimes information is delivered individually and sometimes there is a self-discovery process. Also, they have designed sessions that are delivered to targeted groups with work time for them to look at issues and work toward addressing them. In addition, sometimes there is whole district information such as the work with Modern Teacher. Modern Teacher, according to their website, was founded to enable, as they say, quote, digital convergence to shift from a traditional classroom toward modern learning environments. They've developed a framework to support school district initiatives where individuals can assess where they are personally and examine where they need to go to move forward. There are six key drivers, as they call them, leadership, instructional models, modern curriculum, a digital ecosystem, professional learning, and community. Steve Jones has recognized that for some teachers, adopting a big picture vision and working toward that did not meet their learning style. They needed a framework, a more linear outline toward that goal. Modern Teacher provides that, which is what makes Steve excited about working with this organization. I am, and maybe you've noticed this through our conversation, Jane, I'm, I'm kind of a visionary kind of guy. I, I really like seeing the end product. Sometimes for me, it's just the way I'm built. The steps along the way are a bit nebulous on how we get there, and that's why I rely on, rely on other people to help me along that way. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And Modern teacher came and met with me in November, and then, I mean, I was just floored by it and had them come, I think it was January 3rd. They met with my administrative team. They presented their, their framework, their drivers of 
of modern teaching, what we would call personalized learning, or in their terminology, digital convergence, understanding that technology is, is a major driver as we go forward with education, love it or hate it. Technology is changing the way that we do education. And they met with my admin team, and it was phenomenal. For me, the guy that's the visionary, what I saw with Modern Teacher was exactly what we had been trying to develop here for four or five years, which was a framework for those people, and there's a number of them in our, in our district, who can't see the vision like I do, and I get that, and need kind of a step-by-step approach to see that. We've struggled with how that looks. But what Modern Teacher came in and did is provide that framework in a way that just blew me away. I actually had Cassidy Rice from Sourcewell from our co-op also see Modern Teacher and and she said, oh my gosh, Steve, I am so proud of you that you realize that this would be something that would be really good for many of your people to be able to see that step-by-step process. And that's what it did for me. Through a a series of meetings, um, I've gotten to meet their CEO, Sean Smith, who is truly, I I think, a a resurgent visionary in terms of the way that we're looking at education. I am so impressed with him. I have actually brokered some meetings between him and some people here in in the state that uh, I I think are going to really do wonderful things for for us as a a state looking forward to modern teaching. And, And again, I almost like modern teaching better than personalized learning because it really talks about a shift in our mindset from the industrial model to a modern style of teaching, which incorporates the technology piece right into the way that we look at things. Our relationship with Modern Teacher is is at a point now where they're actually coming back on the 25th and we'll meet with 10 of our teachers to start kind of a coach-the-coach piece to start that work in terms of the professional learning piece of their framework. And then on May 30th, as one of our flex days from our snow, we actually have scheduled Modern Teacher to come in and meet with all of our teachers. So on May 30th of this year, we will actually begin the work where Modern Teacher will roll out their framework on professional learning to our teaching staff. And so through this, it's actually a measurable journey through the various stages of teachers learning through professional development the steps and progress forward toward modern teacher to modern teaching or personalized learning. And again, it's a it's a long path. It's not something that you complete in two hours or three hours. It's something that as a district we know it's going to take some time for us to move. Professional learning is one of the six drivers that modern teachers has, in addition to administration and leadership, instruction and curriculum, community buy-in piece of it, which I think is really important, the connections, the collaborations with the community. So it's it's a pretty multifaceted framework that they put together that, in a sense, measures how far you are along that journey forward. Another big piece I really like about it, and that it allows immediate onboarding of new people into the district. We've all been in districts where we have initiatives, programming going on that is really moving forward. But what happens? We end up at the end of a school year, And we have a percentage of new people coming in. And so we have different people at different pathways on these programs and initiatives. And invariably, not intentionally, but invariably, people get lost along the way. What this does is each person has their own course, in a sense, on how they go. And so each person is is progressing at their own pace 
throughout. New people come on, they get onboarded, they're at step one, and they continue, they start their pathway forward. And so it allows for a con- consistent, continual onboarding process for all of our professionals as we go forward. That will be explained in depth, and we'll actually start the work um, on May 30th um, with our staff. And then on May 31st, we have James Rickabaugh coming. Again, this is four years in the making to get us to this point. Bulk of our people have a rudimentary understanding of what personalized learning should look like. A number of our people have a more concrete idea. Some are actually really progressing along. I think those two days will really help us as a district get over that hurdle of of hesitancy and, and move forward across our district with personalized learning. Another theme of this podcast that is interwoven throughout is the idea that schools are truly community schools, serving, responding to needs, and moving forward to meet the new needs of our changing society. The schools see the personalized learning as a way to serve the business aspect of the community and, even more importantly, in serving the very human needs of families. The backpack program mentioned earlier is only one small indicator of the way that the school has chosen to implement the greater commitment to serve. It was really the understanding and identifying of what our problems were at the elementary, um, at, the, at the middle school, at the high school, at, at, the, at the incontrovertible evidence that our population is changing at a drastic pace. And the days of students finding support across our district at home is limited. Those days don't exist the way that they used to. And I don't think it's necessarily intentional by the parents. It's just a reality of what their worlds are like as parents. We don't have the time like Ozzie and Harriet to come home at at 4.30 and and hang out with the family at night. Um, So many of our families are, you know, the adults are working two or three jobs and trying to do everything they possibly can. Kids are really left to, to fend for themselves in far too many cases. That's where we can really have an impact on on our families by taking their empower the kids' empowerment of their education to the forefront. And I, I really believe that. And so to hear our principals and our SPED director and, and our, our HR directors talk about these kinds of things, our curriculum directors talk about, you know, what the really real needs are, we really felt throughout that this was a way that we needed to go forward. And over the last couple of years, we've really been able to develop our, our admin team. You know, we're an admin team of 11, and we are concerted in where we're going. There, there are no danglers on this. It is, a, it is full bore ahead for our, for our leadership team. Not only are the Little Falls Community Schools aware of societal needs, but they recognize that relationships remain the foundation upon which success in school and life is built. We know that our children have more emotional needs than we've seen in the past. And Little Falls has become a trauma-informed school in order to deal with some of these issues. This is our third year of being a trauma-informed school as well. Bring in the trauma-informed piece into behaviors. You know, as you saw, 46.5% free and reduced. You know, you can make some assumptions about some of the struggles that we face as a district with our kids. You know, the trauma piece is a very real piece for that for us. And again, part of the trauma, dealing with it from kids is very simply having a better relationship with the kids. So that trauma piece doesn't become a barrier, but becomes a, a, a connection piece between the, the adult and the student to be able to work what's best for the child. Throughout the podcast, we've heard about changes in curriculum and the importance of involvement in the community. 
We have heard how Steve Jones has fostered a climate where the community businesses are welcome in the school to work with students. The schools have also created a meaningful internship program for seniors to get out of the building to learn in depth about a career because one of the goals of personalized learning is to help students learn and develop their own unique skills and interests. The internship program is a living example of that. So on any given year, we will have 25 to 30 seniors spend three hours a day for a whole semester in a job that they might see as something that they want to do with their lives. Whether it's from accounting to mortuary science to ag to uh, oh, veterinary sciences. We have a zoo in town where we have we always have kids working at the zoo, learning about zoology and, and veterinary piece. Teaching has been the number one thing. You think about this. Schools are schools should be a living laboratory for budding teachers. We started, like I said, five years ago with this internship program which has spread to other schools now, we have placed multiple teachers with our teachers, so teacher students, so, so seniors in high school, who want to become teachers. We, we place them three hours a day for a whole semester co-teaching with a teacher. It has been a truly remarkable experience. And so we've had this long enough now where our first ones are graduating this year to become teachers. And the what we've got from comments from these kids when they go off to college, that first of all, their, their freshman education classes are boring. Because instead of teaching, which is what they do, they end up with about 200 hours in a classroom through the course of a semester. Instead of the original intro to education class where you sit in a classroom and observe for 15 hours and you can't say anything, you just sit back there. Our kids are bored to death because they're used to being up front working with kids, going in small groups, doing you know doing daily five and, and, and all of those things. We've, we've had kids in special ed. We've had phi ed, health, I mean, shop kids. I mean, kids that truly want to be teachers. Through all of the time, we've had one... One kid say, oh my gosh, this is not for me. Thank you very much for this opportunity. That's a great thing. Exactly. But we at the same time have done wonderful things through it. And our teachers here, our teachers have loved having these kids. We had to talk them into them to start with because they thought it was babysitting. But when we told them, no, we want them to truly get an authentic experience of what it's like to teach, boom. The kids took off. The relationships between our teachers and these kids have become almost like mentor mentee relationships. It's been a phenomenal experience here. On, on a given year, we'll place 10, 12 kids, and we've done it um, at, the, at the middle school as well, and we had our first one at the high school this year. We were concerned about the age differential. With the right kid, it works depending upon where they're at. The middle school ones have been especially valuable. So as we, so as we talk about relationships with business, yes. that wouldn't work out in the business world unless we had positive relationships. And last, let's see, today is Tuesday, so Thursday night, we had a manufacturing meeting where we had companies come in. We're looking at the next step of our manufacturing process, basically revolving around two main areas. You know, what can we provide for you there, but what can you provide for us here? One of the pieces that came out of this is, you know, can we do piecemeal welding for some of our places in town here where they deliver us the material? We do the welding here. They send their quality control guy over. They go through the welds. They keep what is good. They reject what isn't. They pay us per piece. But at the same time, they're teaching our kids. We invested in 16 brand new welders and a CNC plasma cutter. And so this 
takes and that's our businesses as well and so you think about that our business owners were just excited as heck i mean you do that yeah we do that we do that in a heartbeat now you provide the quality control we'd love for that to happen well geez that would save us time and save us energy and we'd get a look at who might be a good welder for us to hire so it's that kind of relationship that we have with with i mentioned wabash our, our hope is that we can create the same thing with fiberglass because of what they want to do. So what can we do to specify what we're doing here to help you in your business? DJ Products right now, we have six or seven kids that leave this building about 11 o'clock and they go to work at DJ Products, uh, building those uh, power hydraulic pieces. They have their own station. They have their own work area. Uh, they get paid, but they also get high school credit as they're, as they're learning a trade. It's tied into our internship. It's tied into, you know, loosely tied into the OJT piece, although this is really OJT on steroids. It's more of a pathways program. This is what these kids want to do. You know, these aren't kids that are, are stocking shelves in a grocery store, right? These are kids that are truly interested in this kind of work, and it, it could develop into a career for them. If not, it's wonderful experience towards other types of careers. Because we know how many jobs they say we're going to have in our, in our lifetime nowadays. Um, millennial kids, was it 13 or 14 different types of jobs? Yeah. So do you offer robotics too? We do. We started it um, three years ago with Robotics 1. We now offer Robotics 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's tag team between our, um, our science department and our industrial tech department. They work together. They build from the industrial tech way. We've got our technology pieces with the computer kids. Robotics has been a wonderful ad for us. Three years ago, we started Health Occupations. Um, this last year, we had 28 kids earn their CNA through through the course next year we have 52 kids registered for health occupations we have a hospital we have three hospital beds we do clinicals we do everything we work with with medical facilities here because of hipaa we have a hard time getting us there but they come here and work with us on this and so our kids um, if they want cna jobs they've got them in town because there's 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 a lot of health care here we're are always looking for cnas Today, you have heard Steve Jones, superintendent of Little Falls Community Schools, as he talked about the journey toward incorporating personalized learning. You have heard about the personalized professional development that has been afforded to teachers, the changes in mindset and curriculum with staff and parents, the work towards standards-based grading. In addition, you've heard how the name of Little Falls Community Schools is a part of the focus of the schools, that the school is an integral part to meet community needs and for the community to support the school. Importantly, you have heard how Steve and his team recognize that this is a process that takes time, support, and learning. This is Jane Sigford signing off. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. My email is jlsigford at comcast.net if you have comments for me. I'd like to close with some words of wisdom from Steve Jones. Don't apologize for being a leader. Don't apologize for having a vision that others might not share right away. But through that non-apology, understand that that comes with a hellacious amount of work that has to go forward. And it's not easy work. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not work that, that is going to be embraced by everyone. Leadership now is all of those things I've talked about, the collaboration, the embracing, the bringing people together, uh, providing certainly resources and, and support for them. But at the same time, not, not apologizing for wanting something that others can't see initially. 
that's been a good lesson for me as I've gone through this, and I would have never said that years ago.